Hello, welcome to another episode of Known. I'm your host, Mandy McDonald. Today's episode features my new friend, Jenna Collins, who's going to be telling us her story of addiction and recovery and everything that goes along with it. She's also going to be telling us about Prodigal Pottery, which is a business that many of you may already be familiar with, and if you're not, you will want to be by the end of the show. Before we get into that, I want to tell you thank you for your reviews and your comments and your likes. We've really started season three off with a bang, and many of you have reached out to me and said, I really needed to hear that, or wow, what a powerful story. And I've just got to tell you what that means to me and to my guests who have been so vulnerable with their own stories. So if you have not left a review before, wherever you listen to podcasts, just give it a five-star rating, please, and one or two sentences about why you like listening to the show, and that helps other people find these stories as well. And go ahead and click subscribe while you're there. Make sure you're following Known Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and head to my website, mandymcd.com, to find everything else. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jenna Collins. I am Jenna Collins. Um, I am 26 years old. I have three children, two boys and a girl. Um, I'm a wife. And I am the studio and wholesale manager of Prodigal Pottery. Awesome. I can't wait to talk about Prodigal Pottery. Um, yes. I own a few pieces myself, and we will get to that. But first, tell us your story. Ooh, okay. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to start from the beginning and just work my way through. Yeah. Um, I was born in on July 15th, 1994 in Monterey, California. We moved to Alabama when I was three and to help take care of my grandfather who had just had a heart attack and mm-hmm. he's fine now, but um, we moved here and um, about the age of four, me and my mom, um, my mom was trying to leave my dad. Um, my mom had a lot of uh, mental illnesses and was an uh, addict as well. And she would, her and my father, I can remember, got in a fight the night before. And she had picked me up from daycare and we were going to go to the Birmingham airport to fly back to California. Mm. And on the way there, um, the perception for the last 20 years was that she was under the influence and wrecked the car, which resulted in me and her getting in an accident and her passing away. Mm. Um, 20 years to the day. Um, a lady reached out to me and actually told me the real story because she's the one that saved me from the car. Um, and that's, I'll tell that story in a little bit. <laughs> just kind yeah. of a moment. Um, so at the age of four, me and my mom got in a car accident and she passed away. She didn't have her seatbelt on, but I do know that she did. She passed away instantly. So there was no pain or mm. suffering. About four to, four to five, my, my dad raised me. Um, and he got remarried and, um, so I have a total of 12 siblings and I'll show, I'll show, show you how, um, but it is, I'm, I'm the only child between my mom and my father, mm-hmm. um, but I have, um, an older sister and an older brother from my mom's previous marriage before my dad. And then my dad got remarried and we, I have two brothers and a sister with them. And so my dad got remarried and. It took a village to raise me, obviously. <laughs> um, so I, I did have a, a mother figure in my life, even after my mom passed away. 
um, uh, around the age of eight, um, my brother, my half brother and sister lived with my grandmother of my real mother who passed away and was raising them. And about the age of eight, um, I was molested by my brother, mm. um, which at the time I didn't understand why I got in trouble, which I, in reality, after a lot of therapy and counseling, I was never supposed to get in trouble, but that's right. okay because I know people do the best they can with what they have at the time. And, <laughs> and, uh, but so that when I was eight, that happened. And, um, there was a lot of, I was never physically abused as a child, but there was a lot of emotional mm. abuse as a child. And I know today that, you know, sick people raise sick people and, yeah. you know, it's not for them. I can't really, I'm not going to blame them for the things that how they raised me because they, they were being, they were doing the best they could with what they had. And, you know, it's up to somebody to like uh, be made aware of those patterns and break those generational curses. And that's kind of where I'm at in not raising my kids the way I was raised. Yeah. But um, so there was, there was alcoholism in my family and addiction in my family uh, growing up. When I was 11, my dad and my stepmom got divorced and my dad got remarried. And um, I decided to move in with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, because my perception at that age was that my stepmom didn't care about me, which is not true, but that was my perception at the time. Yeah. So, um, I'm carrying around all these misconceptions of my own perspective, perspective, um, about my life in general. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I move on with my dad and he gets remarried. And so, um, she has two kids and so I'll have an additional brother and sister in the mix. And, um, I get very, promiscuous I guess you could say I played sports in high school I was an all-star softball player and a cheerleader and everything but Mm -hmm. uh, I had that void inside of me so I was doing whatever I could whether it was just you know drinking or doing or smoking pot whatever um hanging out with people way older than me Mm -hmm. and my parent you know it took both my st- my dad and my stepmom to work two jobs to be able to take care of us. And nobody was ever home. So I was free to roam as long as I'd done what I was supposed to at home. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm kind of a kind of a rebellious child, but also I know how to take direction if that makes sense. Yeah. So I kind of um, am in that trying to find myself phase, I guess you could say at 12 and 11 to 13. Um, and I was raised in church. I was raised in church my whole life. Um, but like I said, I'm carrying around all this on my back of what my own perception is. And, um, growing up, I couldn't understand when I went to church, how I I would look at these people and I'm like, wow, they're all put together. And Mm -hmm. I could never understood how they got to that place. And I'm like, wow, like, how do you ever achieve that? And, And it was, it just really baffled me how, like, that was even achievable. And so growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church and um, where my preacher would jump over the, the pews and like, it would scare me, <laughs> but and, and that's okay. But I, uh, what I took away from that growing up was that, you know, I, I was very much, my perception was that I, I got, I had a, it was a damning God. So anytime I messed up, that was it. I was going straight to hell. Like there was no way to repent. I was going to have to work through good deeds to even try to make it. And so I just, the first time I really messed up, um, I just said, 
there it is. There's no going back. Yeah. And so that kind of started the spiral of like, well, there's no, there's no point. I can't get to heaven anyway. And I don't know how to do good deeds. I don't know. So it was very, um, I didn't understand that I needed a relationship with God and mm-hmm. not other things. So fast forward a little bit. When I was 16, I was, I was raped. I suppressed it so long that it, I just thought I was okay with it. Like yeah, I went through the motions, but I thought I was okay. Um, Cause I was like, well, I'm fine. I don't cry over it anymore. That was always my reason. Well, if I don't cry over it anymore, <laughs> then I'm over it. <laughs> That's not the case no. after way down the line learning. Um, and after that I did, um, I got in a relationship with a different guy and I ended up getting pregnant at 17 and I couldn't, you know, I didn't, I couldn't play softball anymore, obviously, or do mm-hmm. anything else. So, um, and he was already dabbling in harder drugs at the time. I had just drank and smoked marijuana. I had never done anything else other than that. Um, and so when we get together, I think I could fix him because I want to save somebody because mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on inside me. So I get pregnant and I'm like, I'm going to, we're going to have a baby and he won't want to do the drugs anymore. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I already have a messed up perception. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, so I have my daughter who's eight years old now. Her name is JC. And, and, it, and for a little while, it does a little while. No, he doesn't do drugs and I've, I haven't done drugs. And, um, but I have no idea what I'm, I'm mm-hmm. still a child. Um, I moved out of my dad's house and moved in with my daughter's father and his parents, which was only in two streets over from my house. <laughs> so I wasn't far from my parents. Um, and I still, I'm trying to go to school and I'm trying to work a job and I'm doing all the things. And it, uh, I just, I could not grasp how I was supposed to do that. So I did, I did not go back to school um, the rest of that year. And it was my senior year. And then the last month, um, I reached out to the guidance counselor and I said, I really got to finish. I can't not, I don't want to drop out. Mm-hmm. And so I finished my whole senior year in a month on the computer and, mm-hmm. and, and was able to graduate. And um, like I said, he's, he had already dropped out and was trying to join, go to college to get 23 credits to go to the military, mm-hmm. um, which he did do that later on. But um and I think about the time she was nine months, I started, da- um, I tried my, the first really hard drug, which was speed. And I didn't like it. Mm. I didn't like it. I didn't like to be up. And I was like, no, I don't like this. So I didn't do it again. And then, you know, I have all this unresolved trauma that I've never worked through. Plus the, the being a 17 year old, almost 18 year old mother on top of it, which is all of my own making. I, I There were choices made in here, but um, and I have no idea how to process it. I don't even know that it's a problem. It all just seems normal to me at the time. Yeah. Um, because it, that's just what I was used to at this point. And so, um, and then I went out with some friends to Birmingham and I had tried opiates for the first time. I am originally, I'm originally from Anniston, Alabama. So I'm about an hour away. Um, and that's where it took off. Um, as soon as I'd done it, I, I was like, this is, this is it. This is mm. exactly how I've always wanted to feel my entire life. And I finally found it. Wow. And mm. I would, um, 
I would drive to Birmingham every other day and I would get it. And I was consistently using it for about nine months. And eventually I started using it intravenously and that takes on a whole nother ball game. And so my daughter's about almost a year and um, somebody called us out and was like, Hey, I think I know what you're doing. And eventually the truth came out because I, um, me and her father had got into a physical altercation and I was so gone at that point in time that I was trying to leave the house with the paraphernalia with my daughter Mm. to go to my grandmother's house. And it all fell out of my pocket on the way out. So it all fell out and which I'm grateful today that that happened because I would have been trying to keep continuing. And so I get sober and um, I don't have, I, I sign over temporary custody of her at this point to her grandparents because, because my mom, my biological mom is not alive. The, co- the court would not legally give my stepmom temporary custody because she is not blood related. Mm-hmm. So she went with his grandparents or his, her grandparents. And I was allowed to still live at the house. So I was sober. I was working two jobs and I was trying to, do all the things that are expected of you as a mother, like get a house and get a car. Mm-hmm. And none of that seemed achievable. Like I could just remember how stuck I felt like that. It just seemed impossible to do because at the time I had no emotional maturity or anything. Like mm-hmm. I was very much still a child. And I could remember like he was still doing things and I couldn't prove it. And like just the spitefulness I carried with me and the bitterness mm-hmm. I carried with me at the time, because I didn't understand why and at the time while he got to do stuff, but I couldn't, I'm like, he's a dad and I'm a mom. And like, I can just remember those, those feelings of, uh, well, if they can do it, why can't I? Because mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it, cause I had all these, it's not fair. Like I wanted to be the victim. Mm-hmm. At this point. I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was playing the victim. Like poor pitiful me, look at me. I'm 18 with a child and have a drug problem, but now I'm trying to be sober, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to church. And I'm not, there's no spiritual life at all. It's just very much going through the motions just to try to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so I get a, I get a decent paying job and uh, I'm doing pretty good. And then one day um, I came home and, um, and remind you, I got, or to mention, I had been giving her father money mm-hmm. to continue his habit because I thought that was my way of showing him I loved him. Like uh-huh. as long as he was happy, then I was happy. And that doesn't make any, that's the insanity of the addiction and what it causes other people in the bubble to do too. Mm-hmm. So eventually I relapsed after about a year of staying sober and I meet another guy that has way, has more drugs. Mm-hmm. And because it's the nature of the disease, I le- leave the house cause I think it'll be better. Mm-hmm. And I go off with another guy, moving with him and his family. And um, I'll, I'll move to Roanoke, which is about an hour away from Aniston, which is about two hours from here. Eventually, I get sober um, there. And I kind of in and out. Like, I have no concept of what a re- what recovery looks like. I have, I just have all this bitterness, and I'm just angry all the time. And mm-hmm. I just... Don't under I just don't understand I don't understand anything at this point. Like I'm like, how does life how is this supposed to be life? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to church, but I like I said, I still have no concept of like how that's supposed to work. 
I can't tell me tell you how many times I've been baptized because I thought this is mm. going to be it. This is this is what it's going to work. This is going to wash all this away, and I can just start over. And I can't tell you how many times I've went to the altar call to have hands laid on me and think this is going to work. But what I failed to realize was the works that come after it. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't grasp but grasp that at the time. Eventually, like I uh, I become a corrections officer. <laughs> all five foot of me um which I absolutely love because in my in my mind that could be easily be me because at this point I've never been arrested and that's partially probably why I kept doing the things I did because I never got caught and then when I did get caught it was family and nobody they were just like do better it was never like any major um it's a really good job I'm finally working a, a decent paying job with benefits and I have insurance for once in my life and I get pregnant with my son, who's about to be four of this month on the 16th. And um, I have him and everything's good. But I didn't I know this today. But at the time, I didn't know I was struggling with postpartum depression really bad. I didn't understand my body. I had gained way more weight with him than I did with my daughter. And there was a five year age gap between them. So my body had kind of went back. You know? Yeah. So you you add a, an untreated addiction and postpartum depression I'm just not not sure what's going on with life Um, I know I love my child but there's a disconnect there that I'm scared to get attached because I've already lost my daughter and what happens if I relapse I'm going to lose this one so I like it was a way to protect myself but um postpartum depression um untreated we call it white knuckling so I'm white knuckling sobriety because I there's and not having my daughter and then I'm scared like what if she thinks I love him more because I have him and I don't have her and there's just mm-hmm. a lot that goes on in that so um eventually what happens and I can share this today because it's clear <laughs> um <laughs> I was checking an inmate in and they had narcotics and I ended up one day broke and I took them and I got fired but they could have arrested me so thank god that they just if they told me if I told them the truth they would they would just fire me and I I told them and went about my way and my son's dad is also was also an addict and the day I got fired um I came home and nobody was home and they had been in a wreck his dad had went to get drugs and um and this is just how good God is when they wrecked, they wrecked in front of this big cross that's in, in, on the way to Wadawi. It's called Will's Way, and it's a cross that's probably about, I don't know, like 15 feet tall. I mean, it's huge, mm-hmm. and they wrecked right in front of it. And when I, at the time, I didn't know how bad it was, and I drove by the wreck, and the car was demolished. And I'm freaking out, and I get there, and he, my son doesn't have a scratch on him. Oh, wow. No scratch, nothing. Um, and the, the police even said, like, they've – that was not a good wreck. They hit a box truck. And uh, and even that wasn't enough to wake me up, though. Mm. And that day when they went to the hospital, I got my they had to sign over temporary custody to their grandparents because, once again, I failed a drug test mm. when they were doing it. And even then, my my maternal instinct, my my want to do better is not strong enough, stronger than my addiction. Yeah. And the obsession that comes with it. So. Um, I try to get sober again and eventually I get I get finally get in trouble um I was taking 
I'm not proud of it, but I mean, it's part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I was taking check, me and his father were taking checks and rewriting them, taking the ink off of them, rewriting them and going and the Walmart, like just the whole scam thing. Mm-hmm. And eventually we had done it so many times that um, Walmart finally caught on. And um, I, find, I got charged with my first felony um, at 23. They were looking for us and we kind of hid out for about a week. And then finally <coughs> we turned ourselves in and I only spent three days in jail because for once in my life, I finally was able to tell the truth when the judge asked me, if I could pass a drug test and I said no. So he let me out <clears throat> on an on an OR bond. And um, but that still wasn't enough to wake me up either. Mm. Um, so I, I can't go back and live with them. And so once again, I don't have my daughter, I don't have my son, and I'm on my way to go to my grandmother's house because she's always the one that saved me. Bless her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and this time I don't have a partner with me to monitor my using, if that makes sense. Um, I've mm-hmm. always been with somebody when I was using and they would always be like, you're too small. You don't need to do that much. And now I'm by myself and it gets bad because I have nobody there to try to do that. <clears throat> so my, my addiction gets really bad to the point. And in this time frame, I'm, I'm, I don't leave this out, but I should be dead <clears throat> by the nature of it. And I know God definitely had another plan because in these years, I've, I've overdosed at least 10 times. Wow. And, um, and now I'm by myself and I do it. But that still that doesn't scare me. And that's the difference between a problem drinker or an alcoholic is that I can't be scared out of not wanting to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. And so that's, when somebody asks me what's the difference, that's usually what I prefer to is I can't be scared out of not wanting to do it. Yeah. So eventually I, I meet a guy who is now my husband, who is not an addict, mm-hmm. and I get sobered up. But at the time, he didn't know I'd only been sober for two two weeks. And wow. we we went to high school together, and his parents owned um, some boot and feed stores in Aniston and Oxford, where I'm from. And I saw his truck at work, and I was like, well, I'll just stop by and say hey. And I do, and eventually we go on a date, and it just kind of goes from there. And um, But that wasn't enough. Um, three months in, I, he takes me out to dinner and I can't hold my composure to put it nicely. And eventually he finds the paraphernalia in my purse. And he's like, if you'll go to rehab today, if I take you and take care of you for you to go to rehab, will you go? And I said, no. And so he, he left as he should have, because Mm -hmm. that was not his responsibility to save me. Growing up, his dad was an addict and his mom eventually left his, but it, it triggered something in him. Mm-hmm. And so he left and I went downhill. And at this time, I did not know it, but I was pregnant with my third child, who is now mm-hmm. two. And I am, I, income tax comes around and I go off the rails. And um, eventually um, I'm, I'm working a job, but I don't, I'm, I'm coming in late, leaving early, <clears throat> everything. And one thing that uh, people always told me during my addiction, like, you, know, you have the, one of the best work ethics. If we could just get you to <laughs> be here. <you> know? yeah. <laughs> and, but I always, because I, I have my, 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 I have an ego problem and I have a pride problem and I have 
all these things. I'm like, well, they they like me enough. They won't fire because I'm special. That's what that's what that's what's mm-hmm. my head. And um, eventually, I I do get fired from that job. And um, <clears throat> now, um, I've met up with some old high school friends that were doing this kind of stuff back in the day, and they're still doing it. And I meet this guy that I went to high school with, and we start partying together and um, I can't figure I'm really, I get really sick every time I use, but I don't, I just think it's because I'm, my body's dependent on it and I'm sick and I don't know I'm pregnant. I do a lot of geographic location change because I think, you know, I don't think I'm the problem. I think as long as I move, the problem will be removed (laughs) and it doesn't. I can't figure out why that happens. (laughs) I go to Gaston for a little while and it really gets bad. And then I come back and at this point, my dad won't let me stay with him. My grandma won't, won't let me stay with her. My mom won't let me stay with her. Eventually, I'm forced to, with this guy, because that's the only person I have at this time, stay with his aunt. And his aunt's disabled. And she's, at the time, I thought she was crazy. But she's not. She's sick like I'm sick. Mm. And it gets so bad there that um, I have nowhere to go. So we end up living in the woods uh, behind his aunt's house. and. Um, a few days before we moved in the woods, I found out I was pregnant and, uh, I couldn't stop using. I, I was like, I, I don't want to use. And I'm like, I'm not even getting high, but my body's so dependent on it. I don't, I don't know how not, I don't, I just don't know how and the other two kids I stopped. Well, mm-hmm. with my daughter, I never even started, but my son, middle son I stopped. And this time I couldn't stop. Wow. And for about a week or more, we stayed out in the woods and there was a trailer next door. I guess they were hoarders. I don't want to label them that, but just based off the, they kept food under their trailer, like canned goods, stuff that can be perished. And then there was some stuff that was like boxes of cereal. And I would go under there and get the last thing I got was a box of peanut butter, Captain Crunch. (laughs) That was stale, but I ate it. And that's how we, and like, I, of course, I smoked, and I would I would walk two miles to the gas station just to get the bud. Like this is my rock bottom. I've never not had a place to be. I've never not had a phone. I've ne- I mean, <clears throat> of course, nothing I've ever had was my own. It's always been given to me. So I've never, even though I know how to work, I've never had to be be held accountable to where I needed my own stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <clears throat> and so, and now I'm now I'm pregnant, and I don't know how far along I am. And the guy that I was hanging out with, we went to his cousin's house and she was like Jenna you can't stay here but I'll give you an ultimatum if you'll get help you can stay here until you can until you find a place and I said okay mm-hmm. and eventually I go to the doctor and I had to beg the doctor to see me I said look and this is like I, and I know this is God because I have lied my whole life anything that came out of I'm not gonna say everything but majority of the things that came out of my mouth were a lie um because I didn't I just didn't know how to tell the truth because if I told the truth, then you would really see me for who I am. And I didn't want you to, or who I thought I was. And I didn't want you to know that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a fake persona of who I really am. I had to beg the doctor, beg, because I didn't have Medicaid and I didn't have insurance. So I had to beg to go to the doctor. And mm-hmm. I was just able to be honest. And I said, look, I said, I've been using intravenously for the last, I don't know how long. And I said, I don't know how far along I am. And um, they saw me that day. And I found that the day that I was having a little boy and that I was, six months pregnant and I was wow. devastated at the time because I just didn't under, I could not I had made a bargain or not a bargain I had 
um, prayed at one of those foxhole prayers that I'm good at doing when I'm in need of help. <laughs> and I told God, I said, I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to get sober and we're going to, we're going to have this baby. Like there was, I just, I could not grasp losing another child to my addiction at the time. Um, and I did, and it wasn't fair. I was like, I can't put another child through that. It's not their fault. Um, and I, and I just knew I was like, there has to be more to life than this because like, this is just not my purpose. Like this cannot just be what my life is. Mm-hmm. And so I, the doctor was like, I'm not going to call the DHR on you. If you come back in here the next time and pass a drug test, we're good to go. And I said, okay. And so I did that and I called every rehab from in Aniston and they all wanted money. And I was like, I don't have money. I'm homeless. <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> eventually I called Alethea House in Birmingham, which is a treatment center for women who are pregnant or have children. Mm-hmm. And it's a three month program and it's state funded, but they will take your Medicaid. And at this point I finally got Medicaid. The guy I was with also got what we both came to Birmingham and filled an application. And because it made sense at the time, I was like, well, we'll go to rehab together and we'll get better together. <laughs> <laughs> the story of my life. Yeah. Um, and we both do assessments. And at the time, they're like, oh, it could be a three to six months wait. And of course, me being egotistical and prideful and think I know everything at the time I said oh well if it takes three months I'm not going well two days later they called me and said you'd be here tomorrow at four o'clock so I did I mm-hmm. um I cleaned somebody's house the day before to have enough money to get down there to give the person gas money it started my journey of recovery and what recovery actually looked like because I, mind you I've never been to rehab I've always done it cold turkey and I did it cold turkey this time I just, I had no spirituality and I had, I just needed to be, I call it reprogrammed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so I go, I go there and um, they tell me to forget everything I thought I knew. And (laughs) which I mean, really. And so um, I go there for three months and I have Levi and um, I had him six weeks early because he's my placenta abrupted and Mm. he's perfectly healthy. He's, your typical two-year-old. Um, and I was really great, grateful for that because I didn't know what kind of damage I could have done with what I was doing. And he's, he's perfectly healthy and all boy. <laughs> and, um, so this is where, um, I didn't want to go home. I was only three months sober, longest I'd ever really been sober, at least quality sobriety as I like to call it. Yeah. And, um, I didn't want to go home. Because I knew I wasn't ready to go home. I knew if I went back to the same environment I got sick in, that it was only a matter of time before I, I was back out there. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I had to do something different. And I know that none of this is of my own making because I can't make my own decisions, at, le- at least good ones. So I know God definitely was interceding in there somewhere mm-hmm. <clears throat> and making these decisions. And the case manager was able to point me at the King's home after about two weeks, I was able to get in and they had a bed available and, um, it's a two-year program. You can stay up to two years. Um, you can save 75% of your income. And that just sounded amazing to me. And so I came here in August. No, I came here in September of 2018. And, um, it's really where my, my journey began. I mean, I've never lived on my own and I never, I just never had anything of my own. I remember one of my first goals I can tell you was to buy my own cell phone Aww. and to have a cell phone plan. And yeah. I still have that today. <laughs> <I was thinking laughs> so just little, like, 
and they're, they're very goal oriented. So you <clears throat> set goals and I, I thrive in that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I never had real, really structure and what, and you put, they put me in a structured environment and it just, it just, I'd never felt that accomplished in, in my life. So it just really set the tone for the foundation that would eventually be built for me to leave on. And while, when I got here, um, I got a job at Prodigal Pottery. And so what we are is we employ the women from King's Home and we also employ the women from Wellhouse, which is, Wellhouse is a um, safe house for women fleeing uh, sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and King's Home is a shelter for women fleeing domestic violence and homelessness. And so we employ women from both. And um, so I started here and um, I started out painting, which was very therapeutic at first. Mm-hmm. I really needed that. I was able to like, you know, you're going through counseling and you're being aware, you're just becoming self-aware in a way that you've never been, at least for me. Um, yeah. I'd never been that self-aware in my life. <laughs> and so it gave me a safe place to really process through um, those traumas and if you were having a hard day they understood and they worked with you on your schedule and those were things I needed when I first got here because um you know trying to pick up the pieces of the last 10 years of my life and I and it it just made they just made it really easy and they loved on you until you can love yourself and they still love on you I mean yeah (laughs) and um so I'm I'm saving up money and um I was go I got I'm going to recovery meetings and um, I'm just doing all the things I didn't think were ever going to be possible in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and some days I'm still baffled. I think a lot of times, at least for me, um, I tell my boss this all the time. I was like, I don't think I thought, I didn't think I would make it to this age. And so now I'm just baffled, um, that I'm <laughs> doing this because I didn't think I'd live this long if yeah. we're being, and I know that's where God came in because obviously he, he had a greater purpose for me um because I know people that didn't make it out and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they didn't have purpose but they may have already fulfilled their purpose and so um but I start painting here and have um somewhere in, in between the mix um I was working here and working at Massage Envy mm-hmm. <laughs> doing both and um I came back here and I say a year in um we had a shift change in the dynamic of here and I became the studio and wholesale manager and mind you I've never done wholesale a day in my life (laughs) but um my boss Jamie or the director Jamie Johnson she's taught me everything and she's the one who started this program six years ago and it started um just out of the sheer necessity to give women you know some women are not safe it's not safe for them to go out into the public mm-hmm. and start working and some just are not ready. And they wanted to provide a safe place for women to be able to be able to make a livable wage and also be able to minister to while providing job, job skills. And um, so that we have financial training classes and we have Bible study and we um, have team building. Like we do just try to, be, they try to be of service in any way they can and provide and provide for the women the best way they can when their needs are brought to their attention. So I've been here for June will be three years. Hmm. And um, if you would have told me 
10 years ago that I would be a wholesale studio manager of a pottery business in, <laughs> in ministry. I would have laughed at you. Yeah. Um, but it's very much my purpose. I feel that um, I just enjoy, I really love what I get to do. I really love getting to share what we do. And, and I love get, I love the, like the privilege it is to watch other women walk through what I've already walked through and be able to share my experience with them, but also provide them a space to work through that and find their own footing. Um, and I, and I get to watch them get their first cars. Like I got mine and I get to watch them, uh, get their first apartments and all, all the things that, I, you know, we all at one point thought were unachievable and, you know, God definitely, put his hand over this place because I've never seen a program like this. Mm. And so what, what pottery does is we employ the women and all the money that's made through the sales of the pottery goes back into the ministry to help cater to the women <clears throat> to provide um, the livable wage and the insurance and everything. And, um, and we partner with other ministries as well to, um, to incorporate their, yeah, their, product into ours as well mm-hmm. so we have subscription boxes that we incorporated other ministries that cater to women the same way into our <clears throat> and our products I, I know it's more than this but I can tell you at least like provided at least 60 plus women with full-time employment with benefits and it's wow. I know at least 20 women have regained custody of their children because of being able to provide proof of working and save money <clears throat> and um and all those have been able to get cars. And um, I know this numbers went up previously, but I know it was 16, at least 16 plus women have been able to, to move out independently on their own. And you're allowed to keep working here after you leave as well. So um, I recently got married in October 17th of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, bought a, We bought a house um, and I <clears throat> was able to do that because I was able to save the money that while I was here, I was able to put a down payment on my, ha- on my first house. I have a car that was paid off, but I needed a better car mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I moved for- to Talladega. So it's a little bit of a drive back to work. So I was able to buy my first car with my, like by myself in June. And um, it's a little crazy. I st- I'm still a little shocked. That- yeah. Yeah. Um, on May 14th, I will have um, three years of continuous sobriety, which I didn't think was possible either. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I'd ever do that. But I also know that it's none, none of my own making. I know that God definitely carved out each step. And um, I had to be, you know, am I willing to take those steps or am I, do I want to just fall back into old patterns that, mm-hmm. that's familiar? And it's definitely been, it's not been easy, <laughs> but it's been worth it, you know. And like we get to help incorporate our own, like, in, we get to incorporate designs and help out with just like what we want to do. Um, you know, if somebody has an idea about a new piece of pottery. We, we allow, you know, everybody's creative input in that. Yeah. But um, that's kind of much, that's a lot of my story. It's a long story. I know. Um, <laughs> I just know that um, today uh, my relationship with God is ever changing. Mm-hmm. Um as I grow and I know, you know, we all go through seasons. I go, I just come out of a season of like doubt of, you know, of my relationship with God But through that. I know that he's never left me and mm-hmm. it's nothing, you know, that I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a human. I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. And, um, 
that, as you know, I just want to be of service to other people and be able to share my experience in hopes that maybe one day to help somebody else know that they're not alone and it, they're not crazy and they, they are loved because mm-hmm. that's something I struggled with was, am I worthy enough? Am mm-hmm. I good enough? Am I lovable? You know, even after all the bad things and I am, and I do deserve those things. Yeah. Um, you know, God, there are promises and I can say a lot of them have come true for me, but I didn't think I deserved a relationship with God in the beginning of all this. And I can, you know, I'm just very grateful today that I do have a relationship and that it is ever evolving as I grow mm-hmm. through my walk with him. Because I think for a while I got stagnant and I didn't understand like, oh, I can't hear God and I can't, I don't feel him. And I, I'm always waiting on a feeling and yeah. it's not always about how I feel. It's about doing the next right thing that he's asked me to do. And that's something I'm kind of working on right now is just, listening and saying yes instead of questioning and I know I'm not the only one that goes through that <laughs> um, especially when he's like go hug that person and tell him you love them and I'm like mm, I'm not a hugger like, you know that's awkward it's- God <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a sponsor and my sponsor drills this in my head it's easy to judge other people but that is that is God's child mm-hmm. and God loves that child just the exact the same amount that he loves you and nothing I can do or you can do is going to make him love you anymore really resonates with me because I, I I think I can do all these things and he'll oh God loves me he loves everybody and we're all yeah. equal I'm just I'm just grateful to be alive today and get to live a life that I didn't think was possible you know yeah. I know it's pretty it's a simple life but I'm I wouldn't have it any other way and I just um pray every day that God uses me to fulfill his will for whoever whosever's life I'm in is including mine um because this job is definitely my purpose and I'm very grateful I get to do it every day Mm -hmm. I just want to walk through that you know yeah but um, so go back to how your husband became your husband okay yeah (laughs) I want to (laughs) know yeah okay sorry that's all right Um, so like I said we went to high school together we didn't hang out in high school um we dated for that little bit of time, and when he found out I was using, he left, and mm-hmm. we were not originally going to get back together, <laughs> because when I was, at, I told him the day before I left for treatment, hey, I'm pregnant with your child, and it's a boy, and I'm leaving, and because mm-hmm. I was terrified that they were going to try to take him mm-hmm. from me, and through that time, the whole time through treatment, he, um, we would only talk if it was about Levi, and um, he never said it, but he just really wanted me to, pr- I feel like, and he will say this now, like he just really needed validation that I was really wanting to be sober. Yeah. Like he was like, I loved you. And I knew I wanted to marry you the, the first few months we were together. He said, I just, I needed you to be, I needed you to get better because it wasn't going to work any other way. And mm-hmm. I said, absolutely. I agreed. But I, he, this is what I love about him. Um, he never, when I was gone to here or rehab, he never once was like, oh, I wish you'd come home. He, ne- he, he very much supported any decision that I made and was like, you know, what's best for you, which I don't, but, <laughs> but, I, but he never was like, You're, he trusted me with Levi and he never tried to take him from me. He, he just allowed me to get better the, the best way I knew how wow. with the tools that I was given. And so we, about, about I would say, um, 
believe I was probably one when he proposed to me. But because I'm in, I was in this program at the time, I was not allowed to be in a relationship. So we had we put it off. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to be in a relationship with a man when you're in this program. And so we just put the relationship on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we've we've had to do a lot of our own work on the yeah. sideline. Um, he, I guess I'm not gonna say I counsel because that doesn't make any sense. I share a lot of the insight that has been given to me and he takes it and he will talk to somebody about it, but we've done a lot of our own work and we just remind each other that he's not responsible for my happiness and I'm not responsible for his happiness. Mm -hmm. Not that we can't make each other happy, but that, you know, we are, we are our own person individually. And that's been very important um, because I've always been so codependent throughout my whole life that I've attached my happiness to somebody else. And when they didn't meet my expectations, well, now they're the bad guy. When in reality, I have too high of expectations on somebody that they can never fulfill. Mm -hmm. And so um, not that our marriage is perfect because, um, (laughs) because I, um, when we got married, I had some old trauma come up that um, some sexual traumas that had come up that really made it hard for me to, want to be intimate with my husband Mm -hmm. and which it's better now. Um, but, um, but that's something that he, he walked through with me. Um, he never put me down. He never made it about him. Like, Oh, it's something I've done. He just, he allowed me to do what I've needed to do to get through that. And, um, I'm very grateful for that too. So he, I definitely, um, that, uh, you know, God makes our soulmates and some, sometimes we have it, we go, we go through (laughs) Uh, go through different seasons and I'm just really grateful that you know that God allowed us to come back together and that you know we can walk through anything like that so far we haven't we haven't been married a year yet (laughs) well they say the first year is the hardest so (laughs) sounds like y'all are are doing well (laughs) all right so go back to you said that you found out something 20 years after yes your mom so I was in the King's Home program and my whole life I've been told that my mom was under the influence when she passed away. Um, and that's why she wrecked the car. Mm-hmm. 20 years on the day I was on a pass while I was here and I was at dinner at Cracker Barrel and a lady reached out to me and said, Hey, my name is Tammy. And I know you don't know me, but were you involved in a car wreck? on this day, this year, at this place, and I freak out, I'm like, I don't know who this lady is, you know, what I mean? and so I, I forward it to my grandmother, and I was like, hey, does this seem sketchy to you, yeah. and she's like, I don't know, I'll call and talk to her, and I said, okay, you do that first, and I'll, then, and she said, no, Jenny, you need to talk to her, and so I did, and um, she said, we've got to talk it, and, you know, she's like, hey, um, me and my husband at the time were driving down the interstate headed back to uh, Georgia. She said, um, we saw y'all wreck. And what had actually happened is my mom was speeding and the tire had flew. And mm-hmm. that's why the car wrecked. And so when we flipped, my mom flew up, went through the windshield. And the lady said when I, her husband was actually a paramedic. Oh, wow. And so when they got there, she said her husband could tell right away that she was she had passed away and she said, but I'll tell you this, she didn't have any blood or anything. She said that 
she just was it looked like she was peacefully laid in the field right there mm. and she said I didn't know you were in the car at the time she said but I heard you cry and I went out to get you and she said do you believe in angels and I said well, yeah mm-hmm. and she said well do you you know do you remember the well-dressed black man and I said no I remember a very well-dressed black woman and I remember what I call him the lumberjack because he had a big beard and like red and black plaid on. And she said, well, those two people weren't up there. Oh, wow. And I said, well, I remember them. And she said, well, <laughs> she said, but she said, the well-dressed black man handed you to me. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you this. I've been waiting to tell you this for 20 years. She said that when the paramedics actually arrived, she said, I asked them, can I thank the man? And the paramedic said, there is no man. And she said, to this day, she said, that she's like, I believe that that was an angel. Oh, wow. And I was like, because the other people I remember there were not there. Wow. And so she said, you know, my husband even said that he was not there. But she said, we were the only two people on the scene. And so um, that gave me a lot of closure. Uh-huh. That happened because I think I was only like nine months sober when that happened. And um just to know, like, it's just crazy how a perception for so long of an event that actually happened, you get told that from a different perspective, how much it just, it comes from the circle of like, that makes sense. And, um, and so we still, she still sends me Christmas cards and we Aww. still talk to this day. Um, but so, just to clarify, yeah, this woman who was there and you mm-hmm. as a child don't talk for 20 years. No, but you both remember these people who weren't actually there. Yes. Wow. I know it's it's insane. I get chills every time I think about it. Yeah, I was like, I've got them now. <laughs> <laughs> she she found me on Facebook, and what, the reason she had found me, she kept a piece of paper with my name on it in her purse for twenty Aww. years. And she was actually on Facebook looking for her granddaughter. And she said, I'm just going to look for this person. Look for me. She said, I was the first person that popped up on the screen. <laughs> and so I actually I still have the screenshot. I kept it um, from when she sent that to me. Yeah. So um, it was definitely, um, it was definitely crazy to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Intense. Well, Jenna, I want to say something to you that I hope doesn't come across as patronizing. Um, no. But I am very proud of you. Um, and that might sound weird coming from somebody who hasn't known you for very long. But the reason I say that is because I know that, but for the grace of God, that would have been my life story um, mm-hmm. or very similar to it. And I understood like when you were saying, you know, that was of my own doing, or, you know, these are choices I made, or I didn't realize that's why I was doing it. And the whole time I was thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I was, a rebellious teenager, but I also knew how to make people like me, like grownups and bosses. And, um, you know, I manipulated situations and could have gone down a whole different path than I did. And I still went far enough down that path that, you know, my rock bottom just wasn't as deep as yours, I guess is what I mean. And I believe it has nothing to do with, well, I made better decisions than you or anything like that. Like God had you apparently, you know, he kept you 
safe and alive because he had this purpose for you. And God kept me where he kept me because he had a different purpose for me and not because I'm any better than you or made better decisions than you. Does that make oh, sense? No, absolutely. I, I believe everybody, everybody's rock bottom is definitely different. Mm-hmm. And I like, I mean, I've been to meetings where there's doctors and I've been, I like to tell people this. I have used with the judges kids and I have also used with the people that live in the the projects yeah. and I've been on both sides of the spectrum and it does not discriminate mm-hmm. and everybody's right bottom is different and it's um but it doesn't take away from everybody's individual suffering because mm-hmm. something you've been through I might not have made it through yeah. and something yeah. I've been through you might not have made it through and that's why it's never it's very important when people are like well my story's not like yours it doesn't matter mm-hmm. everybody's suffering is their own and God brings each of us out in a different way. Yeah. As long as it's to glorify him, because I, I can, cause I played, try to play God for so long that, um, that control, that sense of control I thought I had on my life was not actually controlled. No, I understand completely what you're saying. Cause that's something I've definitely had talks with people about like, and that I've actually struggled with myself is when I've heard other people's story. And I'm like, Oh wow. Like my story is nothing that ain't like, you're like, wow. And they're like, no, um, everybody is each their own. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's all about how God brought us out of it and walked us through it because, because uh, at the end of the day, it's all, it's all for his purpose. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I feel a sense of pride for you is because I know how hard it is to, to not only change your life, but then to let go of the shame like that part's mm-hmm. hard too. And be like, yeah, this is, this is my life. And this is what happened. Going back to something you said towards the beginning that, you know, you go to church and you look around and think, oh, these people all have it together. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody in that church has it all together. Nobody in any church has it all together because we're all people. Um, and like you were saying, you know, God, God's the one that gets us put together. <laughs> yeah. But to, for us as the church, um, to let go of our shame and to not try to look so put together, I think could change a lot of things. Like if you had been, you know, that young girl going to church and seeing, Oh, that person battled a drug addiction, that person battled three failed marriages, that person battled the loss of a child, you know, like if you could see what everybody has been through and that even though, they were there worshiping God and they were there being humble before God. Do you think that would have changed the direction your life went in? Um, I think part of it, that would have changed. And I also think part of like what happened in the home. Mm-hmm. So half and half, I would say, because my stepmom and I, we've, we've worked through this now was very much keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. And so we always had to look put together, but what nobody, what, and so in like the gossiping part, like mm. being friends with somebody in front of their face. And then when you got home from church, being like, did you see what, you know, like that kind of stuff really bothered me and I couldn't understand why. Yeah. And it's not, not to shame my mom because she's, she's grown a lot. So she wasn't like eight. My stepmom was 19 when she adopted, like her and my dad got together. So she mm-hmm. was very young. Yeah. And so I can't say that I've never gossiped. So it's never to put shame on her, but it's just at that age, 
that was very confusing to me. And then to see like, pe- like, yeah, to see the people for who they are. And I, and I always try to stress, like, I, I shouldn't have to know what somebody's been through to, to, um, to get it. But sometimes uh, it just makes life a little bit easier, you know, because yeah. I mean, I, I'm very open. I, um, I had to learn the hard way not to be too open yeah. because it's not, it's not for everybody to hear what, hear that part of me because mm-hmm. it's, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that all makes sense. I've talked a lot before. I mean, I've shared all sorts of stories on this podcast, but how it's important that you have your inner circle, your trust circle, you know, the people that hear all the things, but then, and, and everybody else doesn't hear all those things, but then to also not be too ashamed to share how God has changed your life. I mean, the Psalm 107 verse two says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Like it, mm-hmm. it says to do that <laughs> and you've been redeemed of the Lord and you're telling your story. So I think you're doing exactly what he wants you to do with it. Absolutely. I, and you know, today I, I have relationships with my children. Um, my daughter just spent the night with me this weekend. Um, and so like that restoration that's promised, you know, mm-hmm. It, it's sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's fast. Some relationships have come back together stronger than they ever were. And some have taken time. Mm-hmm. And so that's something um, I like to stress is that don't give up. Like we say, don't give up for the miracle happens mm-hmm. uh, because I, I, I want instant gratification and I always have. Yes. And so when this time, what was different is I, I, I was okay with waiting. Mm-hmm. because my whole life I have been I want what I want and I want it now and if I'm not good at it right now then don't worry about it yeah I, like you have to know how to do it and understand it now and definitely God definitely uh, I guess I'll say humbled but in a way that I was I want that waiting season like it was okay to wait for once in my life and just be still and that you know the ver- be still and know and that's definitely what happened with me at King's Home and Pottery like just being in still and not rushing my whole life. I've been in a rush. Hmm. Um, I want to be, a, I want to be a grown up. I want to be this. I want to be that, mm-hmm. but not knowing how to wait on it was one of the, even in softball, I might've been an all-star, all-star softball player, but I was always in a rush. Mm-hmm. If I, and it was, and I always revert, revert back to that because I, I know the technique and I know what to do, but I'm such in a rush that I mess it up. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's been my story my whole life. I know what to do. I know the technique, but I just don't know how to not get like I don't know how to wait. I don't know how to sit still. <laughs> and so that's something I still have to work on to this day. Um, but I can say that God's definitely removed a lot of that from me, um, mm-hmm. and He He continues to strip stuff away from me. But <laughs> until we die, I think. <laughs> yeah, we'll never achieve the wholeness that. Until we get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I, Jesus, come on back. Yeah. <laughs> you can come back now if you want. Um, okay. So tell me how we can support Prodigal Pottery. Yeah. So we actually are going to offer free shipping on um, anybody that listens to this podcast. If they place an order, you just have to type known in the um, description box and we'll know to get free shipping. Um, you can order off our website. It's prodigalpottery.com. We also sell on Etsy. Okay. Um, we also, yes, we, so we have a, our own website on Etsy. Um, 
you could also support it. Like if you live in Homewood, Alabama Goods carries our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a border of a bunch of different stores, um, but directly through our website or Etsy. And as long as you type in known in the description box, we'll note it. You can get free shipping on your order. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And I will say I have my favorite mug is a prodigal pottery mug. And then I have a ring dish next to my sink okay, um, that I use every day. And I bought Christmas ornaments for several people this year. So there's, there's something for everyone. And like that dish that you showed me is beautiful. And yes. I'll have anywhere from like large, like serving pieces to just yeah. a little like teacher gifts. I think they're perfect for that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. We, the, our, I think one of our best sellers is the mugs and they are dishwasher and microwavable safe. Yes. And that, that we have a wide variety of them. Um, the mugs are a great gift. They're mm-hmm. $20. Um, we do, we have dessert and dinner, se- dinnerware sets and they are microwavable and dishwasher safe as well, because mm-hmm. I have tested that. <laughs> and we, yes, uh, we all, we have ornaments all year round. They mm-hmm. all, those usually are the go-to teacher gifts. Yes. Um, th- and we're actually introducing candles. <gasps> what? Yes. Yeah, so we are, <laughs> we're going to introduce. So what's special about our candles is they're going to be painted and stuff by us, but they're going to be hand poured by children, by adults with disabilities. Oh, we have two different missions in one. I love that. So that helps provide us with jobs, but also help provide the, them, um, with work too. Yeah. So those will be rolling out very soon. We, um, we're in the process of making new items for our new, like for Christmas time, which I know we'll have to wait on those, but, um, yeah, we have our large platters, which, um, make great for state, our food safe. So they do make great for serving. If you're a hostess or just for decoration, we have our oval platters and our, we actually have a new artisan bowl set and they are, flying off the shelves right now yeah. with um I think my favorite is one of is our little mini blossom bowls but um our soap dishes and ring dishes are always great mm-hmm. as well well but. I can attest that they're all beautiful and um if they have survived living in my house <laughs> they're all <laughs> so durable <laughs> yes if they've survived my two-year-old then we are yeah. <laughs> we are good um our leaves are really good a lot of people use our leaves for spoon rest um by their coffee pot or on their stove that's what I use mine for at least oh you just reminded me that I needed to order one of those <laughs> I forgot about that. yes and, and we you can also follow our page we have an Instagram and on Facebook and it, we always update it with mm-hmm. new things that are coming out or sales or anything like that as well and we can link to all that in the show notes so people can just, they don't have to remember websites or anything. We'll just yeah. have a link they can click. Well, <laughs> just if, if people if people need help to reach out, you yeah. know, don't, don't be afraid to be, I understand how scary it is to reach out. Even now being sober, uh, if I'm having a hard time, it's hard to reach out sometimes. But just um, that there are resources out there to help mm-hmm. people get help. And I'm always happy to do that. Um, I'll, I can even, I'll put, I'll give you my email. You have my email address. Mm-hmm. I'm always happy to help anybody that has any questions about anything, um, addiction or any, I mean, anything recovery related or just life related, even though mm-hmm. I don't even know what I'm doing, but, <laughs> but I just, just to have that community, it's important yes. to have community. Yeah. And, um, that's definitely something that pottery, the prodigal pottery has given me as a community of women that I, um, that are family, mm-hmm. you know? 
And we, uh, I mean, we will link to prodigal pottery, but even more importantly, I will definitely link to um, King's home and then how to get in touch with you and all that information. So if somebody needs resources and needs help, we'll make sure that there are plenty of ways that they can, they can reach out for that. Good. That'd be great. The last question that I ask everybody, because of your story, what do you know about God? I know that he's, I know that he never left me, Mm -hmm. even in, even in my darkest of times where I thought I I even was convinced that he didn't exist. He Mm -hmm. never left me. Um, I I was the one that had left him. And even then he was right there because regardless of what I've done or what, or anything there, he, he loved me the exact same of when I, how I am now versus where I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that he is, he's a redeeming God. I know that he, um, that I'm his child, just like everybody else in that. Um, I'm not good at reciting scripture, but I, there's my life first. It's, you know, I born, I was, I'm a new creation in God. And um, I'm probably referring to two different verses, but um, <laughs> I do the same thing. We, we will soar like eagles, mm-hmm. and that's something I, I don't. Like I said, I'm not good at reciting it, but I just know that when I came, when I came to Him and gave it all to Him, and said I could not do this anymore, that He gave me that new pair of wings that I could soar like an eagle because mm-hmm. of the grace and the mercy that he shows to, to me and to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like, I, I just know that he's my earthly father may break promises and my earthly father may he's human. My earthly father is human as where my heavenly father goes above and beyond the things that my earthly father cannot do. Yeah. And will always do. And that's something I struggle with is I don't, is my dad does this, my dad does this. And that very much reflected on my relationship with my heavenly father. But in reality, my, my, my dad is a human and my, and God is eternal and immortal. And so he, he keeps his promises and he protects me from the things I think I want and he knows what's best for me. And so I like to just know that he, um, that he is reliable and he's consistent and he's everlasting. And he's, he's the same today as he will to be tomorrow. And there's nothing I can do to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when I fall short, it's okay. Like I, I don't have to have the shame and guilt and anything that is shame or guilt or anger. Or any of that is not of him is because the world is broken and that the enemy is always there to kill, steal and destroy and um, it's and just just knowing that God's there to to keep us safe. Even we just have to ask. We just have to ask, and it's that's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. And I just know, yeah, it's just there's a lot of it, but that's like <laughs> that um, to know that He gave each and what give me a purpose and everybody a purpose, and that He knitted us in our mother's womb, and though we have free will, He knew that and continue to give us a purpose we're not in walk help us walk through it when we were ready yeah and so I think that's kind of where that is (laughs) 
I like that. I like that. And I love it when I ask that question and somebody has like their first answer and then they, there's just so much to know about him. <laughs> it's hard to, you know, it's hard to just say like, I just know this about God because it is. it's, it's very hard. Yeah. But it, I mean, that's how big he is though. And I love that. Yes, absolutely. You can't put him in a box, but no. I can, he grows on branches. Yes. <laughs> well, Jenna, thank you so much for yeah, being well, thank vulnerable. You. I really enjoyed it. I have too. And I think a lot of people, people who haven't been in your shoes need to hear your story to, to have some understanding of just a little less judgment maybe. And people who are in your shoes need to hear the hope and um, that there are people out there on the other side and they can be too. So Absolutely. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for doing that and doing what you do. It's, <laughs> it's important to give, to have platforms that are positive, but also are just want to help spread awareness. Yeah. And that's really important. So as I was producing this episode, I wanted to go back so badly and change some words that I used with Jenna. When I told her that I was proud of her, thinking back to the feeling that I was having, I think what I really meant is how much respect I have for her. I know that my life story could have been the same as hers, and I know that it's just because God had different plans for us. And I don't mean that to say God created an addiction in her. I don't believe that at all. But what I do know is that she's put in a lot of hard work and surrendered herself over and over to God. And for that, I have a great deal of respect. And if you are listening and you are someone who has dealt with addiction and you are in recovery or you just don't even know where to begin to recover, I want you to know that you are valuable and respected as a person and that if you need help, you have a place. You have many places where you can reach out. And the most important place you can reach out is to God. So I just want to pray real quick. Dear God, any woman who is listening to this episode right now, who has been touched by Jenna's story, who has even been angered <laughs> listening to Jenna because they feel like they can't get where she's gotten. I just pray that you guide her to look to you first and to reach out and ask for help. I pray that you open doors and windows to crawl through and lines of communication so that women who need help can get help and men too. I pray that addiction is eradicated in our world. I pray for complete healing from these idols and demons that afflict so many people. And I pray for the people who love them, who have been praying, who have cried tears in Jesus name. Amen. So if you are listening and you need help or know someone who does, please reach out. We will list multiple resources in the show notes. You have a way to get in touch with me. You can send me an email. You can get in touch with Jenna. Just please get help. Ask for help. I will be praying for you and you will be supported by so many people. And I ask those of you who are listening who have never had to fight addiction, I just ask that you join me in prayer. So if this story meant something to you in any way at all, let me know and let Jenna know. You can find all the information in show notes, comment, like, share, save, whatever you need to do, um, just so we know that this meant something. And of course, please support Prodigal Pottery. First of all, their products are absolutely gorgeous. I want everything I've ever seen from them. And second of all, they are 
truly empowering women and collaborating with other organizations that empower people who need help. So if you're sitting around thinking, well, what can I do to help? Buy a soap dish. (laughs) Give your child's teacher an ornament or a magnet or a platter. There are many ways that we can support them, and I hope that you will join me in that. So as always, I leave you with the blessing of the Beatitudes. This time I'm reading from the ESV. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.